and say when something happens, when, and, and it could be anything, when, uh, when you lose your job, when uh, you get bad news from the doctor, when uh, a family member calls and there's that, that panic in their voice that a circumstance or a situation is transpiring, even your family, even then, and, and you may have to rush somewhere. But in the process of all of that, in the process of on your way to the emergency room, don't forget to pray and ask God and invoke the authority that we have that this circumstance, that this situation is not going to destroy me. It will not destroy my family. It will not destroy my home. It will not destroy this person. And pray it in Jesus' name. We have authority. And when our mind uh, comes under uh, sometimes how they do comes under attack or we feel stressed or we feel the pressure of job and the family and life and church and, and all of these things are coming. We feel overwhelmed. Pray and, and invoke the power of the name of Jesus. We have authority in the name of Jesus. And so uh, in dealing with authority, we've been talking about the scripture setting where in 2 Corinthians, Paul makes this statement that I have this thorn in my flesh, this messenger of Satan that has been sent to buffet me. And, and three times he prayed and asked God to remove this thorn. And, and we've already talked about what the thorn was. And, and, and God makes this statement, my grace is sufficient. And we misinterpret that and say that Paul just had to live with the thorn. That is not the case. What God said is I've given you the authority. You take care of it. Go ahead and invoke my name. Go ahead and invoke the power uh, that I've already given you when you receive the Holy Ghost. And so we have this power. We receive power. And God says to use it. So to Paul, he said, I've already given you my grace. What I've already done for you is sufficient enough. You have enough power in the Holy Ghost that's inside of you to take care of the thorn. You don't need me to show up and do something miraculous. You don't need me to show up and blow the windows out. You don't need any of that, Paul. I've given you what you need to take care of the thorn. And so he's not telling Paul, you have to live with this. And that's the mentality that, that I've gotten into on occasions myself, that, well, I guess this is just my cross to bear. This is just the burden that I have to live with. No, it's not. God has given us, if you're a Holy Ghost-filled person, God has already given you what you need to overcome things in our life. And so we just have to invoke the power, the authority. And so in talking about in this scripture, uh, in this scripture setting, oftentimes, God won't do the impossible, what we call the impossible, until we have done the possible. If there's parts of our nature that we don't like, and, and somebody this past week was telling me about a part of their nature, and I wish I could share the story, it's hilarious, but uh, they said, you know, Brother Merrill, I'm really trying not to be that old person anymore because that old person is, doesn't make me, make me very happy, but, you know, a little bit of it came out in a, in a situation, and and so when, when we are dealing with our nature and when we're dealing with our, our mindsets and this stuff, we can in, and we can understand that God has given us the power through, through the Holy Ghost to overcome these things, to work in these things. And in a process of time, if we'll continue to use what he's given us, 
then we can receive uh, what we need to change our mentality, to change our nature, to change our mindsets, to, to be healed. All of these things can happen uh, when we understand this one, this one concept. We do the possible. And when all of the possible is exhausted, then God takes care of the impossible. So in 2 Corinthians 12 and 9, Paul says, and he's talking, he just got done asking God, uh, saying that he's asked God three times to deliver him of this, and this is God's response. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And we talked about this last week, but the Greek word here for power is dunamis. This is the same word that we get the English word dynamite. It is explosive power. Now, I wish I could get my hand on some dynamite. I can, I regret, one of the things I regret in my younger years is I had a friend that had access to dynamite. And I didn't get him to give me a case or two. Now, don't be nervous. <laughs> I just want to see something blow up one time like that. You know, just a big tree stump or something. He got to blow up a big beaver dam one time. Y'all know what a beaver dam is? They had flooded an entire, our whole pasture where we hunted. All our ryegrass and everything was flooded under about two feet of water. They had a big beaver dam built, and he got to go blow it up. And I wasn't there to see it. I just want to see it one time. But anyway, I'd love to get my hands on some dynamite. So if any of y'all <laughs> can get some, let me know. I'm just joking. Federal prison, I don't think would be worth it. But it's dynamite. We all understand what it is, that when it gets engaged, when the electrical charge hits it, when you push down the little, uh, the little uh, detonator and that electrical current runs down those wires and it hits that dynamite, man, it just boom, and, and something happens, something changes, something radical sticks in the, no matter what happens, no matter what the end result is, it won't be the same as when it's before you push down the detonator. Something is going to happen. And it's the same thing with the power of God, with, the, with what God has given us. If we will engage it, if we'll set the spark to it, if we'll ignite it in our life, if we'll let God have his way, uh, so to speak, to use an old cliche term there, if we'll, if we'll surrender ourselves to what God wants to do, and God can push down the detonator, so to speak, or, and, and in our life, our lives are going to become radically different. Our circumstance is going to become radically different. If we take the dunamis, the power of God, and we put it into our sickness, if we put it into our circumstance, and then we spark it, we, we hit it, and, and it's going, something's going to happen, and it's going to radically change uh, where we're at, What's going on, our circumstance and our situation? It works. It works. For all I've said, for all of the, the, the lessons, and, and I know that, uh, that, that sometimes we get weary with hearing it, but if we will do it, it works. The power of God works in our life. 
The word dunamis is also used in Acts 1 and 8 where it says, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has become upon you. So it's the same word. Once we receive the Holy Ghost, we have this explosive power in our life that we can apply to our circumstance and situation. The idea that Paul could have victory over his thorn in the flesh by the grace of pow- and power that God gave him is contrary to what many people teach and say. And Satan has, has gotten some people, and no, nobody here I hope, and, and all that, but to, to, uh, to understand or to believe. They've, he's blinded the eyes. He's be- got them to believe that God's not interested in your circumstance or that God is not going to minister your circumstance, that you just have to live with that circumstance. Understand, it is God's will to redeem every area of our life. Every area of our life. From what sin has done, the curse of Satan has done in our life. It is God's will to redeem that. Jesus paid a price that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. The fullness of life. Uh, Paul uh, prayed and, and, and was and was recorded in scripture that that he prayed for our whole body that's our minds and and our spirits and he talked about it I pray for your body and your mind and your spirit that it's whole that it's complete and it's the will of God for us to be complete in God and so our mentalities and our mindsets and our bodies and our families and our homes all these things is the will of God and somehow uh, God can can work through those uh, those circumstances when they come up and bring about the fullness of His will. Uh, we just have to hold on and continue to pray uh, the name of Jesus, the power of God, into our life. First John three and eight, and I've got to start hurrying. For the purpose, this is the will of God. This is what Jesus did. For the purpose of the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. One of the reasons that Jesus came to this earth was that he could destroy the works of the devil in your life, in your situation, in your problem. That is one of the works of God. He wants to do this. Now, Christ, of course, is the head of the body. He sits in heaven waiting, not say heaven, you understand, waiting on the church to finish the work uh, that he's modeled on earth. Jesus is our perfect example, and he did on earth what he expects the church to do. In Hebrews uh, 10, 12, and 13, the Bible tells us that he wants us to continue the victory that he started. Jesus started a victory on on his life on earth, and he wants us to continue it. Hebrews 10, 12, and 13, but this man... After he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. So understand that Jesus is expecting us to continue to make the enemy our footstool or put him under us to live above the works of Satan. Paul was a covenant man. More than any other Bible character, Paul was a covenant man. He understood a covenant or the promise of God. In Acts 26, 16 and 18, God spoke 
and made promises to Saul, who, of course, later became Paul. And this is what he said, but rise, stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose. In other words, Saul, I'm not coming here willy-nilly. This is not just for any circumstance or any reason, but I have a purpose for you. This is a very, uh, a very pointed reason that I've showed up. I'm going to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things which uh, I will appear unto thee. Here's his purpose. Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom I now send thee. Here's the promises he's saying. I'm going to deliver you from the people and from the Gentiles whom I now send thee to open their eyes to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. So God tells Saul in verse 17 that I'm going to deliver thee from the people. Now, when we had talked about the thorn in Paul's flesh, uh, we, we, through the scripture, can determine that it was not a sickness, it was not a disease, but it was people that battled Paul everywhere he went. If you read the ministry of Paul, every city he stopped in, everywhere he went, people were constantly battling him, trying to undo what he was doing. Paul was frustrated about that, went to God, uh, we gave you all the scriptural precedent throughout all the Old Testament, through all the New Testament, how when the Bible refer, refers to thorns, it is talking about people that are contrary to the will of God. And so in verse 17, God is telling Paul, he's making a promise, I'm going to deliver thee from the people and the Gentiles unto whom I now send thee. So he's telling Paul, he's already promising Paul that I'm going to do it. So when Paul asks about it, God just simply says, my grace is sufficient. In other words, God had already, had already let Paul know that he was going to be all right, that he was going to deliver him, but through the power he'd already had. It's the same concept with us. We read the Bible, and there's a promise of healing. God may use the ministry. God may use a sermon. God may use a saint to come up and say that God has spoke to me about your circumstance and, and he's going to, to, to heal, he's going to minister, he's going to bless, whatever the case is. And so we wake up the next morning and our circumstance is still there. And we're waiting on God when in fact God is waiting on us. God told Paul when, it first, when he first called him, when he knocked him off his high horse, I am going to deliver you from the people. There is a promise. In the future, Paul gets so frustrated with people, he asked God to deliver him. He asked God to do what God had already promised to do. And what did God say? My grace is sufficient. I've already given you the power, Paul, to overcome it. Just do it. So in our circumstance, we're not always waiting on God. A lot of times, God is waiting on us. And so when things don't change in our life, 
when things don't change in our circumstance, we wait for Brother Holland to show up. We wait for Morton Buster to show up. We can't wait for Brother Tenney to be here. Because these, well, you know, bless God, they're going to just, whew. And the whole time, Morton Buster shows up and Brother Holland shows up and then they leave and we're still sitting there going, but God didn't do anything for me. It was awesome what he did for sister and brother so-and-so. Called them out, man, read their mail, talked all about them. and I mean, it was incredible. Did nothing for me. I'm waiting on God. I had a guy email me. He's suffering some, uh, some emotional things. And he emailed me a week or two ago and he said, I'm, I'm still waiting on my healing. What do I do while I'm waiting? Maybe he's not waiting on God. Maybe God's waiting on him to engage the power we already have. To, to, already, to go ahead and, and to more go on the offensive. That I have this circumstance or this situation, but I'm going to go on the offensive instead of being the defensive, waiting for God to show up. I'm going to go on the offensive, and I'm going to start attacking my circumstance. I'm going to go after my circumstance with some prayer and some fasting, and I'm not going to allow my mentality and my mindset to be beat down, and I'm not going to become a servant to my circumstance. I've seen people do this. I've done it. It's, it, it, it happens. It's human nature, but I'm not going to let uh, these things uh, control me. I've got a power and I've got authority. I'm in a covenant. I'm in a promise with God. And I don't have to live like this. And he's given me the power. It's not of myself. God gave it to me. And I'm going to use it. It's, it's awesome that God gives us the tools to live for him in this life. We have a, uh, so to speak, a tool shed full of tools. I used to work on tractors, farm equipment for several years. And and you would see these guys would come in, and you'd bring their tractor in to, uh, to get some work done on it. Man, they'd have a 120-horsepower tractor. And say, you know, what do you do? Well, you know, I, I got about a six-foot bush hog that I use this thing with. And I'm like, wow, there's so much more tractor here than is required. They're, you're not even using this thing to close to its potential. Burn a lot of diesel fuel. We have all of this power. We have all of this power, horsepower with God, man. We're Jesus' name people, man. We're apostolic. We believe in the power. We believe in the power. We got all this power. We got God with all this power. Let's use it. Let's engage it. Let's, let's hook some heavy loads up behind it. It's like that 120-horsepower tractor. We got God over here, and we put a little bit of something on God and we try to carry the rest. Why don't you put a lot of that on God and, and let's carry a little bit. Let God do the work. That's what he wants to do anyway. Paul was a covenant person. He was a covenant. He understood the promise of God. Paul understood both old and new covenants. And that's the reason he became an apostle to the Gentiles because he had this real good knowledge of all of the Old Testament and he could relate those things but he also understood the New Testament covenant that he had in Jesus Christ in Galatians 3 and 16 Paul wrote now to Abraham and his seed where the promise is made he saith not and to seeds as of many but as one 
and to thy seed, which is Christ. Paul understood the covenants and the differences between the old and the new. He understood that the old covenant or the Old Testament foreshadowed the perfect relationship that God wanted to have with us in the new covenant. But since the Old Testament sacrifice were ratified with the blood of animals, and it was, and the Bible says it was unable to uh, to take away sin in Hebrews ten to four. Uh, the Bible says, "For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins." Paul understood that, but he also understood Jesus. And since the New Testament was was ratified or was covered in the blood of Jesus, a sinless lamb. It had the power to remit sin and to destroy every curse. And we read that a while ago. Galatians 3 and 13 says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Jesus Christ became cursed for us. We don't have to be. I've mentioned this probably a long time ago, and it's, it, to me it's insane. This is insane. Every year in the Philippines, there's an island in the Philippine chain of islands that you can go to and be crucified on Easter. If any of you are interested, see me after church, because I'm going to tell you how crazy you are. But usually between, between 10 and 20 people from around the world will go to this island in the Philippines, they pay their money, they are laid down on a real wooden cross, real nails are driven through their hands and their feet, and they are stood straight up in a hole, and they hang there until they tell the, the people down on the ground that I want to get down, they lay the cross down, they pull the nails out, and they bandage their wounds. They do that so they can feel like they're more like Jesus. Now, this is the way I see it. Call me dumb, but this is the way I see it. Jesus said, I'm going to go get crucified so you don't have to be. I appreciate that. I don't want to be crucified. That hurts. I mean, I've stepped on a nail and had it go through my foot one time when I was a kid. I remember that kind of pain. There's in no way, shape, fashion, or form do I intentionally want a nail driven through my hands and feet so that I can feel like I'm like Jesus. The Bible says if we want to be like him, we should love one another. Then we can be his disciples. I'd much prefer to do that. I love everybody in this building. <laughs> Some of you, I don't even know that well, but I love you anyway. So the Bible is saying that Jesus became cursed for us so that we don't have to be cursed. And as we go through life, life happens, it does. We have the three forces in our life. We have God, we have Satan, and we just have life. And life happens, but when we go through life, we've, given, we've been given an authority, we've been given a power that we can just say, you know what, you're not going to get me, not this time. I have authority in Jesus Christ. He was cursed, so I don't have to be cursed. I'm not going to join the club of the cursed. I like 
I, I don't like that it happens, but sometimes it's kind of comical to hear the ones that the people that will come up and tell you how horrible everything is and everything's just falling apart. We have authority over that stuff, and some of it's real trivial. Well, bless God, my car tire went flat. Satan is just, just wearing me out. It might have had something to do with the fact that you ran over a nail. Maybe that wasn't Satan. I know I'm being cynical. I'm sorry. We're not going to read it, but in Deuteronomy 28, 15 through 68, it is a very lengthy reading, and that's why you don't want me to read it. The Bible lists the curses, and it's among them is sickness and disease and all that stuff that, that people go through. You can read that in Deuteronomy 28. It's incredible reading. But because of the blood of Jesus, we can be free of that. He paid the price. God-given righteousness will take away all of the right that Satan had. It's the God-given righteousness. It's Jesus. It's what he did to put sickness and disease in our body. Do you understand that when Jesus died, the Bible says he took from Satan the keys of death, hell, and the grave? Satan has no power over your life anymore. I say it all the time to people, and it's true. That old adage, the devil made me do it? No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Satan can't force something on you. And we blame Satan a lot, and that's fine. He deserves it. But we blame Satan a lot for things. It's not necessarily Satan. Yeah, because of Satan, sickness is in the world. I understand all that stuff. Things happen because of what he's done and because of our lifestyle, our choices, or whatever. But Satan can't force things on you. If you are a child of God, I remember a couple of years ago, I don't know most of you will remember, I had a flare-up of this little thing called gout. 39 years old, I, got, I, I, I received this flare-up of gout. It was not fun. I don't know if anybody in here has ever had it. But it hurts. I was limping around here. My foot was swollen up. It was, it was tearing me up. And one of the, of course, you know, immediately I did the wrong thing. I started reading about the causes of gout. You know, you can't eat red meat. You can't eat seafood. You can't, you can't eat. I was so thankful, though, to read on there, you cannot eat spinach. So anytime somebody says something about spinach, I'll say, well, I can't eat it. You know, I suffer with gout. Not that I ate it before, but now I've got a real excuse. But, you know, I start reading on the Internet, and, boy, that's just a bad place to go for all that stuff. And so, you know, some of the, the causes of, of gout flare-ups, especially suddenly, just at a young age, 39, you shouldn't have gout, you know, relatively healthy. Could stand to lose a few pounds, but you know, two or three, five, whatever, twenty. Is reduced kidney function. So I'm like, wow. And so I said something to Christy. She immediately started on me, you know, how loving wives do. You're just a big baby. You know, get over it. So I mentioned something to, to Pastor about it, and, and he said something that resonated with me. 
because you know you start going down these trails in your mind. It's a, and we talked about what the mind can do. It's amazing how the mind can convince you of things. He said, he, I was telling him about it, and he said, uh, he said, I want to tell you something. He said, nothing, nothing can come to your life without God knowing about it. It's already done. He already knows. God already is fully aware of what's going on before it even happens. Because when you're a child of God, Satan can't force things on you. Satan can't get through the blood. And so when these things happen, and I know sometimes that doesn't comfort us, but understand that God already knows what you're going through, and he has already given you the power. He's already given you the power to overcome these things. And when we have done the impossible, or when we've done the possible, excuse me, when we have done the possible in our life, that's when God shows up and does the impossible. But we have to understand he has given us power and God doesn't change every circumstance. Not everything is going to go away. I know that sounds like a disclaimer, but it's true. But what God doesn't change in our life, he will change us to handle. He will change us to bear it, to, to go through that circumstance. Sometimes we have to walk through the valley of shadow of death. Sometimes we don't get the option to soar on the eagle's wings over the valley. We do on occasion. But we have to do and engage the power of God in our own life. So how do we do this? How do we engage the power of God in our own life? Galatians 10.10 For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth Confession is made unto salvation. So we are, our salvation is brought about because we speak. And we can, we can apply that to our eternal salvation, but we can also apply it to when God saves us out of our circumstance and our situation. How does that salvation come about? By speaking, by talking, by using the mouth. I have a reputation for being able to use mine for longer than people want to hear it. It's all right, though. Use your mouth. Begin to talk to people about the great things that God has done, even though your current situation doesn't look like it. Talk about how awesome the future is going to be, even though your present doesn't look all that wonderful. Talk about the power of God even though you look like you're powerless. Use your mouth. Speak the name of Jesus. There was a, a family, I begged the mom and the dad one night sitting at their house. I, I begged them, pray in your home, but don't just say your dinner prayer. You know, I forgot, look out stomach, look out teeth, whatever, here it comes or whatever. That's not prayer. You know, uh, Lord is great, Lord is good, let us bless the food. Amen. 
pray in your house and use the name of Jesus. Man, get out in your living room. Kitchen's my prayer room. God bless my home in Jesus' name. Say it fervently. God, take care of my kids in Jesus' name. God, I need you in my home. God, I need you in my family. God, I need you with mom and dad. God, I need you at my job. God, I need you when I'm driving down the road. I need you in Jesus' name. And, and when you bring up the circumstance and the situation, oh, God, you know that, you know, that the doctor just told me that I've got to have surgery. But, you know, I pray in Jesus' name your will be done. Use Jesus' name. Use some authority. Use some, uh, speak with authority. Speak like you believe in God. Speak like you, you trust in God, like there's some confidence in God. Uh, speak with authority. We know what it sounds like when somebody speaks with authority. Most of us do. I have two little boys that you know. The other night, I think it was Thursday night, sitting at the house, we told them, boys, go get, you go get your rooms clean and then get in the tub. And I am telling you God's honest truth. That I could have never said a word and gotten the same kind of reaction. They sat there like I hadn't spoke a word. And I looked at them. I watched them to see what was going to happen. They never moved. They didn't quit playing. They didn't turn their head. They didn't acknowledge anything. I said, boys. Go clean up your rooms and get in the tub. So Christy chimes in. Josh and Micah get in the tub. So I hollered at him. When I said it the third time, boys! It wasn't volume. But it was authority because they knew if they didn't move, something was fixing to happen that would be unpleasant. The same thing is true when we speak with just speaking and when we speak with authority. It's not about your volume. It's about authority. Oh, Jesus. Ooh, bless this upcoming surgery thing that I'm facing, God, you know all about it, and I uh, hope that your will's done, God, and be all right, I'll, oh, I'll see you on the other side, was that a lot of authority, and then we, <laughs> hate to sound condescending and, and all that, but then we're mesmerized that nothing happens, wow, well, you know, you just I speak to this cancer in Jesus' name. Be gone. And we're, I prayed for him. Nothing happened. God chose not to heal. Or you can speak with authority. Like you know that you got all of God's word backing you up. And we can lay hands on people. And again, you don't have to shake them and spit and slobber. And I'm not supposed to say all that anymore. We don't have to do all that stuff. You don't have to holler and scream in their face, but you can speak with authority in Jesus' name. Believe it. Have faith in it. 
We understand that Satan is out there and he's trying to devour us. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5 and 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. I will give you an interesting side note. When a lion roars, it is generally the result of frustration because he has missed his prey. When a lion takes off after a gazelle and, and that gazelle gets away, a lot of times out of frustration, a lion will roar. So it's the word of God here is a roaring lion means he's missing a lot of prey, which I'm thankful for. But God has given us the power over Satan. He's given us the power over the works of Satan and, and sin. He's given us this ability to overcome it. If we'll engage this authority, Satan cannot devour us. He cannot take us out. He cannot destroy us because we have the Satan. Uh, we have the power of God over Satan. Praise the Lord. The thorn in Paul's flesh and God's response to it was not a response that you have to deal with it, but it was a response that the same, all of us in here this morning have the same response from God. My grace or the power that I have already given you is sufficient to take care of your circumstance if we'll engage it, if we'll do what God has asked us to do. Praise the Lord. Thank you this morning for your attention. God bless you. You're dismissed.